You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. You are rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, on an all-new episode of the Decoding Success Podcast. And listen, as we see this year, 2020, come to a close, we want to make sure that we're finishing it off strong because it has been one hell of a year in many different regards with everything that's going on in this world. I'm not even going to get into any of that, but just on a personal level, it has been a hell of a year, and I am so excited to be able to add value up until that last day and kick off 2020. 21 on a super strong note, and that's exactly what we are doing here today with our guest, John Asaroff. I'm sure that you're already familiar with John, multi-million dollar business owner, over five multi-million dollar companies he has built, written two New York Times bestselling books, and featured in eight movies, including the blockbuster hit The Secret and Quest for Success with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. Today, he is the founder and CEO of Neurogym, a company dedicated to using the most advanced technologies and and evidence-based brain training methods to help individuals unleash their fullest potential and maximize their results. And you want to know what? That is exactly what John is helping us do here today. This episode is going to bring you through the ins and outs of his life, his journey, and how he is living his best life. But you want to know what? He's also sharing stories of when he wasn't. And that's okay. We all have those types of stories, and that's exactly why we're amplifying them. That's why I'm very vulnerable with all of you on this show as well when it comes down to those types of stories because we all have them. They're nothing to be ashamed about. And we're amplifying John's message here today, which I am so excited for you to be able to join us. Now, with that being said, I want to give a huge shout out to our partners over at Acadium. Now, as we end this year, Acadium is still something that I want to promote to you. It's something that I'm still using in my business and going into 2021, I'm actually going to be doubling down on it. With this whole remote work thing going on, who knows when we're going to be back to some sort of normalcy, especially here in New York City. So with that being said, I have partnered up with Acadium, formerly known as Gen M, and you've heard me promote them as well, to offer all of our listeners remote marketing interns. Now, remote marketing interns that could be helping you with anything from your social media to your SEO to your web development and every single thing in between. It comes down to what you need as a business owner or someone, maybe you're not a business owner, but you do need help with a project you have in mind. Maybe you're writing a book, maybe you're starting a podcast, whatever the case is, even if it's an initiative, right? Whether you're a nurse that's putting together an initiative to support frontline workers and you want to learn how to promote it, this could be be for you too. So I don't want you to be turned away from that. With that being said, you can learn more about their amazing initiative, their database of ready to go students who are willing and able to help you and your business, your your project reach its goals. You could check out their amazing program in the show notes of this episode. And now without further ado, we bring to you our friend, John Asaroff. John, first and foremost, man, I am super pumped and excited to have you here on Decoding Success, ending this year strong with you. Uh, Listen, super grateful for this opportunity. So thank you for being here. Thanks, Matt. So great to be here too. And yeah, let's, uh, let's finish strong so we can start 2021 fast. Exactly. There you go. So first question for you right off the bat, this is how we kick off every show. I want to learn, how do you personally define success? How does John Asaroff define success? At this stage of my life, success to me is all about harmony. And what I mean specifically is you think about an orchestra, you know, when an orchestra or a band is in harmony, it's freaking beautiful. Everything is just in flow. And so for me, it's this wonderful combination of uh, giving, receiving, being mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially healthy, contributing, making a difference, uh, being with my children, my wife, my friends, my family, and having things flow for me is success. And when something is way too out of whack and I'm out of coherence or out of harmony, then it's just not working for me. So I do everything that I can every day, every week, every month, every quarter to be in as much flow as possible. I love that. Now, what is it that you do to be in the flow? Great. So this is actually a great question, especially this time of year, because at the end of every year, starting around November, I start looking a year out. 
And I start asking myself, by the end of the following year, uh, what has to happen in order for me to feel like what I was trading my life for was worthy of my life, mm. right? Big question. What was I doing? What was I feeling? Who was I helping? What was I learning? What was I discovering? And who did I become? So that at the end of next year, I'm like, yeah, you know, that Tiger Woods, yeah. Um, so I'm looking at health. And I can I look at health as uh, there's a model that I teach called SEMP, S-E-M-P. And as I look at my spiritual health and well-being and connectivity, I look at my emotional well-being and I look at my mindset and then I look at my physical body. So I'm looking at am I in coherence? Am I in harmony? Are my thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations and behaviors aligned so that the result that I want is predictable. Mm. So I invest a lot of time on, is my vision clear? Are the goals on my way to that vision clear? Do I have the strategies, the tactics, the tools, the resources that I need to make sure that those goals and dreams I have are actually going to be achieved versus hoping and praying? And so I invest a lot of time on the blueprint first. Then it's implementation, review, tweak, adjust. Implement, review, tweak, adjust. Implement, review, tweak, adjust along the way. So there's a constant check and balance, check and balance, check and balance. So, you know, 15 minutes at the beginning of every day to make sure that I've got what I need to do for the day done. 30 minutes at the end of the week to review the week, several hours a month to review the month, several days every quarter to review the quarter and plan the next quarter. And so there's a lot of time to actually think, analyze, recalibrate. Mm, I love that. Now for you personally, does anything in that scent, the spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, does anything outweigh one another or are they all equal across the board? Um, The spiritual side is the core, the nucleus of everything. And Mm. to be clear, I don't think of spiritual as religious, right? So I, uh, my definition of spirituality is the intelligence that allows uh, earth to spin at dizzying speeds, you know, a thousand miles per hour, you know, on its own axis, um, going around the sun as the other uh, eight planets are orbiting around the sun, as the sun is spinning in the Milky Way galaxy, as the Milky Way galaxy is spinning, you know, in the universe, as the atoms in our bodies are spinning, um, what is causing that perfection? What is causing me to be able to breathe 10 to the 22nd power of hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon so that I have air and oxygen and carbon? uh, And then what is causing the food that I eat to digest so that the nutrients from that food could help me regenerate hair, skin, uh, teeth, uh, not teeth, but uh, heart, liver, nails, etc. That's the spiritual intelligence I'm thinking of. So the first and foremost thing is my belief is that everything emanates from that place. So everything Mm -hmm. that humans have ever created was created from that intelligence. And then we have this brain that can tap into different frequencies of what's already here. So I want to connect to that first every day and as many times during the day as I can. Then If I can really master my emotions, the energy in motion, that will determine whether I take action or I don't. That will determine how I feel. Then if I can focus my mindset, my attitude, my beliefs, my habits, my awareness, my ability to focus, then I could eliminate all of the noise. And then if I can get this physical, molecular, 100 trillion cell structure to be in motion towards the goals and dreams that I have. Now I'm in harmony. I'm in coherence. I'm making progress. That all connects. Everything emanates from spiritual. I use the emotional and mental faculties that every human has. And then I try to keep my body in tip-top shape so that I can actually take the inspired action and have the energy to do what I want to do. 
Right, right. So are you doing anything personally to connect to that intelligence? Like, are you waking up at a certain time um, in the morning to meditate or listen to certain frequencies, et cetera? Um, so I don't go to sleep. I go to sleep when I'm tired and I wake up when I wake up. So I trust the okay. intelligence to guide me. So if I'm tired, I go to sleep. Um, when my eyes open, uh, usually it's right after a dream, I get up. And then from there, first thing I do is meditate. Uh, every day, I don't care where I am in the world, I don't care what time zone I'm in, the first thing I do is just reconnect to that brilliance, that intelligence. Uh, and then um, I have a practice uh, of mindfulness throughout the day just to recalibrate. Try, I try to do about every hour and just to recalibrate and remember to operate from this calm, responsive state that's aware and self-aware versus a constant stressed reactive state. So, and then at the end of the day, I have my, you know, by the way, and I start every day with gratitude as well. As soon as I wake up and I open up my eyes, uh, as soon as I put my feet on the floor, the first thing I say is there are people that did not get to put their feet on the floor today just coming out of bed. They died in their sleep. So I start my day with that gratitude. And then I have a, a little gratitude practice of, you know, what am I most grateful for just having awakened today? Right. I, I get another day at life, hopefully. Uh, and then I, I close out the day as well with what am I grateful for? What worked? What didn't work? And did I operate from a spiritual being um, and this intelligence that is omnipotent, omnipresent um, and as everybody else is? Um, or was I in a reactive state? Um, you know, during the day? So which am I operating from? And so I practice a lot. I love that. And practice makes perfect, right? So no, I can go down. No, no. no. okay. No, Talk to no. me. Practice makes permanent. If you practice the wrong things, you make the wrong things permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect. Okay. I like that. I like that. And that's why I appreciate having you on here because I'm learning too, right? So we all are. Yeah. So I can go down the rabbit hole with asking you a million and one questions now, but I want to connect the dots here. My first and, you know, kind of understanding, listen, we, we all know who John Asaroff is with the movies, with the New York Times bestselling books, the multi-million dollar businesses. So who was John in high school? Let's go back a little bit of trying to, trying to understand full spectrum. Yeah. So um, what a lot of people don't know is the successes that I've had, including the failures, of course, but the successes that I had um, stemmed from a lot of failures. So from the age of 13 to 17, I was involved in a small street gang, uh, did drugs, sold drugs, imported drugs, did breaking and entries uh, into, into companies, stealing stuff. Um, and I was on my way to either jail or the morgue. That was who I was 13 to 17. Very troubled um, childhood stemming from low self-esteem, low self-worth, uh, hated school, left in grade 11, failed English, failed math, uh, was voted most likely to fail in life. And uh, this was my high school team. Uh, and the one thing that I had going for me was athletics. I was, um, I was a good basketball player and good, um, good runner, uh, swimmer, et cetera. And so I had some disciplines about sports, but I didn't have disciplines in, in anywhere else. And uh, I share this story with a lot of people just to put things in perspective of how your life can change in an instant when you're ready. Uh, one of my, um, my brother, who I'm very close with still to this day, uh, he's nine years my senior, uh, knew that I was getting into a lot of trouble. And he had arranged for a meeting with um, a very successful entrepreneur by the name of Alan Brown. And this was in April of 1980, just to put it into perspective, I was 19. And um, I had to take a train 350 miles to go for lunch with this man. And, um, but my brother said, this guy is smart. He might be able to help me and who knows what might happen. So we're sitting at lunch in the first few minutes of small talk. And then he asked me, um, what are your goals in your life? And I said, uh, well, I want to buy a car. I want to move out of my parents' house. I'd like to get a better job than the one I have in the shipping department of this factory that I'm getting $1.65 an hour for. And he says, well, that's, that's great. That's all nice and dandy. But what are some of your bigger goals? I said, uh, 
I don't have any bigger goals. I just, I was in the moment, like, like I need this stuff now. And so he gave me this document and it was the 1980 goal setting guide. And the first question was like four or five pages. First question was at what age do you want to retire? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm 19 years old. What do you mean retire? Second question, what net worth do you want to have? I looked at Mr. Brown and said, excuse me, Mr. Brown, what does net worth mean? <laughs> I had no idea. What kind of lifestyle do you, uh, do you want? What kind of car do you want? What kind of home do you want? What kind of charitable contributions do you want? No, I had no idea. So I said to him, I said, Mr. Brown, I never thought about this stuff. He said, just write down the best stuff that you, that you can. So I wrote down, I want to have a net worth of $3 million dollars. I want to retire at age 45, which was 26 years later. I want to retire my parents. I want a Mercedes Benz. I want a four bedroom house. I want to travel the world first class. I wrote down all this shit. And he looked at it and he said, these are some pretty good goals. And uh, he said, I'm going to ask you one question. And the answer to this question will determine whether you achieve every one of these goals that you think is a fantasy right now. And in the back of my mind, as you can imagine, Matt, I'm thinking one question is going to determine whether I answer, I get all this stuff. Right. He looks at me square in the eye and he says, John, are you interested in achieving all of these things and having these things or are you committed? Mm. I said, hmm. I said, Mr. Brown, what's the difference? And he said, John, if you're interested You'll keep believing what you believe and you'll keep doing what you're doing and you'll keep letting your stories and excuses and your reasons about how poorly you did in school and how your dad did this and didn't do that and how your mom's a seamstress, your dad's a cab driver, and you'll keep recreating your present because you are locked in these beliefs and habits that keep you stuck at this level of behavior and results. He said, but if you're committed, you'll upgrade your beliefs about what's possible. You'll upgrade your knowledge, you'll upgrade your skills, you'll develop the habits and self-discipline of the man who can achieve these goals. So he said, are you interested, are you committed? And I was like, nervous, but it made sense. And so I said, well, Mr. Brown, uh, I'm committed. And he reached out his hand. He says, in that case, son, I will be your mentor. And I said, wow, uh, that's great. What's a mentor? I said, a mentor is somebody who can show you what to do, how to think, how to plan, how to develop the habits, how to develop the discipline to keep you accountable to the behaviors required to achieve the goals and dreams you have. He said, because every one of your goals and dreams are achievable. He says, The challenge isn't that they're not achievable. You just don't know how to achieve them. And so I said, wow, uh, okay. He says, great, the first thing that I'm gonna do now as your mentor is I'm gonna ask you to move from Montreal to Toronto. And I said, I can't move from Montreal to, I don't have a job, I don't have a car, I don't have any money, I got $40 in the bank. He says, I don't care what you have. I don't care what your present circumstances are. Are you interested or are you committed to achieving those goals? I said, I'm committed, but he said, no buts. It's binary. Interested means you're gonna use stories, reasons, excuses, your past or your present. Committed means you change right now. I said, fine, I'll move to Toronto. Great, he said, great, second thing I need you to do. He says, I want you to enroll in a real estate class. It starts on May the 5th. I said, May the 5th? That's like two weeks from now. He said, and it costs 500 bucks. I said, 500 bucks? I have $40 in the bank. Okay, my, my brother paid for my train ride here. He says, John, you're not getting this, are you? I said, what? He says, you're coming up with stories and excuses why you can't. You just told me you're committed. Is committed people make decisions, then they figure out how to do it. Mm. He says, people who don't think this way make decisions based on present circumstances or their past. I said, fine, fine, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go back to real estate school, even though I failed English and math, and I hate school, and I don't do well in school. And I'm gonna shorten the story, Matt, just to, to let you know. I moved to Toronto two weeks later, moved in with my brother, let me stay with him for a while. I enrolled in real estate school. My brother, my sister, and my father lent me the money that I needed to get into real estate school. On June the 20th, 1980, I graduated from the real estate class, which was nine to five for five weeks, took the test, I passed. And the reason I remember this story so well, Matt, 
is because I lie or not lie, but I cheated to get out of my grade 11 class. In the final test, one of my friends, Ted, gave me the answers, which was multiple choice, to be able to help me get out of grade 11. And I passed this real estate test on my own because I studied every day. And so a couple things I learned. Number one, when you make a commitment to yourself and follow through, you can achieve way more than you think you can. Mm -hmm. And once you are committed, you can achieve pretty much anything you set your mind to. So on June 20th, I became a licensed real estate agent. And then my training began with Mr. Brown, focusing on my goals every day, reading affirmations, reading my, looking at my vision board, my goals, my dreams, my aspirations, the stuff that I told him I wanted to achieve. He had me look at it every single day and he had me create the beliefs and the plans to achieve them. And with his help, I made $30,000 my first year in real estate on a 50-50 split selling $25,000, $30,000 homes. Every day I would call 100 people. Every day I would recite a script that he had me memorize. And so he upgraded my knowledge, upgraded my skills, upgraded my beliefs, upgraded my habits, upgraded my self-discipline. And then in year two, by applying some more techniques that he taught me, I 5X'd my revenue and at 21, I made $151,000 40 years ago. That's amazing. And I resonate with a lot of that because I was arrested, sold drugs. Uh, I was really only good at baseball and basketball, you know, uh, when it came to uh, the education system. So that definitely resonates with me. But I have to ask you, knowing all of this now and being able to amplify your message, where you are today, looking back throughout the whole course of your life, is there anything you would change? Well, listen, um, you know, when I was doing illegal things, I hurt people, right? Mm -hmm. I took advantage of people. I lie, I stole, I cheated, I misrepresented. I was operating at the lower spectrum of my vibrational field. Um, and with that said, it's part of my tapestry today, my painting, right? My life's masterpiece. And also knowing that because of that, I had this chance encounter with Mr. Brown because had I not done all that stuff, had my life not been in jeopardy uh, of being a waste, um, I would have never met him. I would have never had the opportunity to say yes. I would have never had the opportunity to get into personal development, to look at myself and look in the mirror, you know, and be disgusted you know, with what I saw, uh, to have come from a family who loved me. You know, my mother loved me. My father loved me. Uh, and, and so everything operated in perfect order, harmony, and synchronicity for me to become who I am today. That set me on a trajectory for 40 years to become more, uh, more kind, more compassionate, more understanding, smarter, um, uh, more able to give, more able to understand other people and their uh, and their plight in life. Um, and then it's 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 led me down the path of how do I share what I've discovered about the human brain and psychology and neuroscience, which is my passion today, with others so that I can help make their path a little bit easier. And I, I look at my life, you know, today as I approach my 60th birthday as um, almost like a construction worker with a helmet on and I've got one light in front of me to light my path forward and then another light behind me to light the person's path behind me forward, right? So um, I seek to lift as I climb and I seek to, to use my life uh, as a petri dish of experimentation um, where I can learn myself and, and be more aware and then give more so my life has even more purpose and meaning. So do I wish anything would have changed? Um, it's kind of like yes and no, right? It's kind of like yes, because the memory of what I did is painful, right. uh, whether it was my parents suffering or my siblings or people. Um, but then because of that, I've been able to help so many people. And, and this is where the spiritual practices come in. And upstairs on my, on my deck, uh, I have this rock on this Buddha, and it says, whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should, mm. right? So whether I like it or I don't, 
uh, it's unfolded exactly as it should. And I've sought to take a look at the lessons, the good, the bad, the ugly, the embarrassing, the shameful, the guilty, and say, how do I use that as a magnifying glass to understand all humans, right? Uh, to understand myself better so that I could become more and give more uh, and share more. Now, do you have any advice when it comes to believing that things are unfolding the way it's supposed to? Because when you're in a situation where, you know, you want something to go a certain way and it doesn't go that way, you know, it sucks. Like it sucks. But as you said, you know, like things are happening for you, right? They're not happening to you. They're happening for you. So do you have any advice to like believe it in the moment of the struggle? Yeah, it, it, uh, it stems from, uh, and I'll show you something instead of, uh, instead of telling you, it stems from uh, something in my exceptional life blueprint and coaching that I, that I do with my clients. And, and I have five guiding principles for an exceptional life. Um, so um, I can read them to you and then we can, we can discuss it. So number one is yes. I'm responsible for all my actions and I always find a way to succeed no matter what happens. So that's an overarching philosophy. No matter what happens, I'll figure out a way to succeed. Um, number two, I'm committed to doing whatever it takes to achieve the vision and goals I have for my life. And then number three, and this is, this is the, the one that sparked me to open this book up, is the meaning I give anything determines how I feel. And then I always give things a meaning, right, that empowers me. Mm. So, uh, and then everything that happens to me is happening for me in my spiritual growth. And I practice and apply radical honesty by looking within myself first for answers. So in a nutshell, these are my guiding principles for everything. So whatever may be happening, I look at what is the spiritual intelligence within me and all around me seeking to teach me, to show me. How do I take whatever is happening and give it a meaning that lifts me up instead of puts me down? Mm. Right? Because I can, I'm a meaning-making machine, and so are you, and so is everybody who's listening or watching. Right? We're meaning-making machines. And so if I um, label things in a disempowering, destructive, negative way, then my perception is my projection. Right. Right. So can I, in, in a world of duality, right, we, we can't have, you know, an up without a down, an inside without an outside, an electron without a proton, matter with antimatter. That is the way the universe operates. So if I'm hyper-focused on something that happened that's not to my taste or that's painful, whether it's spiritual, emotional, or physical, or financially painful, I can look at that right? And suck all of my energy and attention towards that. Or I can say, okay, uh, what did I learn? What can I do? How can this teach me? How can this lift me up? So I'm seeking to take as many of the experiences that I can. And by the way, I don't mind, you know, you want, you want to bitch, whine, complain, sulk uh, for a little bit of time. Cool. Do it. Get over it. Move on. Right. I love that. I want to go back to the mentorship real quick because I'm really curious, you know, knowing that we have a younger audience and I don't mean to jump around here, but this just popped in my head. Oftentimes I get asked the question, how do you find a mentor? Uh, and it's not necessarily find a mentor, but people, and it's really people that are a little bit younger than me. They ask me, how do you get in touch with X, Y, Z, right? Like we have John Asaroff on the show right now. I've worked with Damon John of Shark Tank. People are always asking me these questions. Meanwhile, and it's not to compare anything, but they overlook the person that's owned the laundromat in their neighborhood for 25 years and they want to be in business, right? It's like, what's your advice to the people that are seeking mentorship, but they're really doing it as, you know, they want to be with someone that has the blue verification check next to their name on Instagram versus, you know, um, understanding that there, there's value where you stand too. Well, there's a, there's a variety of different ways to receive mentorship. Let me give an example. When I was 19, I, um, I met this guy by the name of Rocky Madsen. And Rocky was a real estate agent who was voraciously interpersonal development. And uh, I met him, I think, at an open house or something. And um, Rocky lent me his cassette tapes. He had you know, thousands of dollars back then of cassette tapes. And my mentors became the people on those cassette tapes. That's awesome. Right? So 
uh, YouTube. Right. Plenty of freaking, I've got more videos on YouTube that are free that people charge for that you could be mentored by me through YouTube. I, right. I do stuff every day. Damon John does. I'm sure you do. Podcasts. Why not allow the people who have the knowledge, the experience to be your mentors? Pick one or two and yep. study them. All right. How do they think? What do they do? How do they show up? You know, go deep instead of, you know, uh, diffusing your energy. So you can, um, you can get the wisdom that I've accumulated over 40 years. You know, I've got a New York Times bestselling book, having it all. I've got the answer for business owners. I've got my newest book, Inner Size, to master your own brain. Um, start with a $10 investment, right? And so you can start with free you can start with a very, very minimal investment um, and then get into the orbit of the people that you want to learn from. You know, the people that end up being, you know, the people that I mentor are the people that are closest in my orbit. So, you know, I've got a, a, an inexpensive coaching program that has thousands of people in there that can ask me questions that I meet that, that I, you know, I end up coaching some of those people, I end up mentoring some of those people. So, you know, it, it doesn't happen because you hope and pray, you know, that somebody's going to say, oh, hey, uh, you seem like a nice person. Let me mentor you. Um, that you have to be in the flow in the environment of that. And so there's so many different ways, as you mentioned, there's successful people in your town, there's successful people, you know, uh, online, offline. Um, there's so many different ways for mentorship. Nobody who is busy is just going to haphazardly choose somebody that isn't serious and committed. Mm. They don't have the time. They're right. busy working with people that are serious and committed. So does your level of seriousness and commitment match, okay, what you're expecting? Right. I love that. Now, John, you've done a ton of these interviews. You know, you've been on TV, movies, et cetera, books. I want to know what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Uh, I pretty much get the gamut, you know, of, of, of all the questions. Um, one that not a lot of people ask me is like, why do I do what I do? Okay. Um, and, um, and, uh, the answer to that is, um, I have this, um, this vision, right? We talked earlier about, you know, this spiritual practice. So let me give you, um, an example in the last 72 hours, um, two dear friends of mine, one um, uh, has got throat cancer, third stage, the other one's got fourth stage brain cancer, okay? They're, they're in my field, um, and they're personal friends of mine, and, um, and who knows whether they'll live, and then one of our employees has got fourth stage colon cancer, okay? Um, so in my world, what I want to make 100% sure of is that I don't die with too many dreams still within me, that I don't have too many I wish I would have when I could have. So why do I do what I do is because I want to maximize uh, as much of my life as possible for maximum giving and maximum achievement so that I feel uh, if I was to die tomorrow that I use my life in a way that first and foremost I'm proud of and then if I was to meet God okay and she was to ask me what did you do with that life that I gave you on my beautiful blue planet I want to be able to share Here's what I did with my kids. Here's what I did with my wife. Here's what I did with the failures. Here's what I did with my companies. Here's what I did with the, the strengths, the weaknesses, the experiences that, that I was blessed to have there. Here, here here's, here's the evidence of what I did. And that also stems from, you know, knowing that there's only four things that hold me back, which means there's only four things that hold you back. So number one, what's holding me back from being, let's say, healthier, wealthier, uh, more giving, more loving, more kind, more whatever it is. Um, so number one, it could be, I just don't have the knowledge and skills. Okay, well, is the knowledge and skill that I need to achieve any goal I have available? Yes. Yeah. Unless yeah. I'm trying to colonize Mars with Elon Musk, I don't really need to be that innovative. I just need to upgrade my knowledge and skills. Doable. 
Number two, my beliefs could get in my way, right? Um, I'm too young. I'm too old. Uh, I don't have enough of this. I have too much of that. I don't have the discipline. I don't, I can have my, my beliefs can get in my way. So I go, okay, so that's a psychological obstacle. Are there techniques to get rid of psychological obstacles? Yes. Okay, so that's solvable. Great. Um, I fear failure. I fear disappointing myself again. I fear if, if I do my best and I fail, I might be embarrassed. I might be ashamed. You might not love me. You might not think I'm a really great guy. So fear can hold me back. Do we know more about fear and the emotion of fear than we ever have in the history of our species so we can learn how to manage fear instead of fear managing us? Yes. Okay. So I can upgrade my knowledge and skills. Yes. I can change my beliefs. Yes. I can learn how to manage the emotion of fear, which there's 50 of better. Yes. Then there's number four. Um, I don't feel like I'm worthy of that big vision or goal that I'm imagining. So my self-image, my self-esteem or my self-worth may get in the way. Then I go, okay. So even though you're a spiritual omnipotent, omnipresent being with the ability to use your super $100 billion biocomputer, okay, to figure out just about anything you want, you don't feel like you are worthy or smart enough or good enough or deserving enough? Oh, so self-image can get in the way. Yes. Are there ways to upgrade, augment my self-image? Yes. Great. So all four of those things are solvable. Right. That's beautiful. Yeah. So if I'm committed, I will figure out how. If I'm not, I'll figure out how not to. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of my life and I think of the finiteness of it, I want to make sure that instead of asking the question, am I worthy of these goals that I want to achieve? I want to reverse the question and say, are the goals that I want to achieve worthy of my life so that when my life comes to an end, I go, fuck yeah. (laughs) So what if someone's listening to this right now and they realize that, okay, maybe they're just interested in their goals, kind of going back to the story you told us when you were younger, right? What's the process of going from interested to committed? Um, Well, one is, you know, asking yourself, you know, is there something that's preventing me from being committed? Mm. And so is what's preventing me from being committed fear is what's preventing me from being committed. My self image is what's preventing me from being committed is limiting beliefs. If that's why I'm not being committed, then can I be committed to solving those things so that I am committed to my vision and goals? Right. So a lot of what I do is I look at uh, effect. So think about effect. Okay. Effect. You're looking at an apple. Okay. That's an effect. You're looking in your bank account. That's an effect. You know, you're looking at your physique. That's an effect. You look at your relationship and you determine what your relationship is like. That's an effect. So I'm always looking at cause. Mm. What's causing the effect? So if I'm only interested, what's causing this feeling of being interested? And if I really do want to achieve whatever goal it is, then the question should be, if I could eliminate the limiting beliefs, the self-image, the fears, or the lack of knowledge that's causing me to be interested, you know, if there was a way to safely, effectively, and efficiently, would I want to? Mm. And if the answer is yes, I would want to, then I would say, well, then are you committed to? Now, if you say, no, I'm not committed, then I would just say, do you just drop the goal? Because then what you're going to do is if you keep having the goal uh, and you don't do what is required to achieve the goal, you actually are going to reinforce a Uh, lack of trust with yourself. You're going to reinforce a lower than you need or want self-image. You're going to reinforce a disempowering belief system. And if you keep reinforcing patterns that are either uh, destructive or patterns that cause you to be limited, you deliberately, unintentionally, I'm sorry, not deliberately, you unintentionally are reinforcing more of what you don't want. Mm. Right. So there has to be a time 
or not. I mean, if you want to evolve yourself, right? There's something I call deliberate conscious evolution where I'm deliberately being honest. You see, you know, I practice and apply radical honesty um, by looking within myself first, which means I'm going to be 100% responsible, okay, to the answers and then to the changing of the behavior. So if you're interested, would you like to be committed? And if you'd like to be committed, then be committed to the process, okay, of change. And that way you'll get away from mastering disappointment because mm -hmm. that is one of the biggest fears that people have is it's called mastering disappointment. And you're either going to master disappointment or you're going to master change. And if you master disappointment, okay, you're going to be very, very, very good at disappointing yourself because you feel yeah. comfortable in disappointment. But if you master change and you're radically honest, then you can make progress. And if you're making progress, you're moving forward. I love that. Right. And so which do you want? Jim Rohn had one of my favorite quotes of all time. And he said, in life, you're either going to um, uh, pay the price of discipline or you're going to pay the price of regret. And he said, discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons. So I refuse to live a life of regret. Right. It's just, it's just, it's just, I refuse, period. There just, there's just no circumstance in which I am prepared to live a life of regret, period. That's, I just, the line in the sand is drawn. So I will learn what I need to learn. I will stop what I need to stop. I will start what I need to stop. I will ask whatever help I will need to ask. I will pay for whatever I need to pay for to, to not live a life of regret. You just said something interesting. You said asking for help, which is one of the things not many people are comfortable doing for, for many different reasons. Uh, what's your suggestion to, and honestly, I'm speaking from a men's perspective, right? Like men oftentimes don't want to ask for help. So um, what's your advice for opening up to that? Sure. So when I was younger, I, I was taught, um, you know, asking for help was a sign of weakness. Boom. And then in my particular case, having done so poorly in school, uh, asking for help reinforced that I'm not smart enough. So why the hell would I want to reinforce that I'm not smart enough? I already felt like I wasn't smart enough. Why the hell would I want to ask for help? So I would sit, you know, in quiet desperation, begging for help, but nobody heard me because I wasn't verbalizing it. Mm -hmm. And then even when I got help, for example, in math, I was just horrific at understanding, you know, calculus was like, I might as well have been learning Russian or Chinese. That might've been easier for me. Um, uh, adding, subtracting was great, easy division. I can get, you know, but getting into the more um, advanced math, I, even when I was taught with, with tutors, I didn't understand it. X two, you know, brackets, Y one right. minus four. Well, what does that equal? I said, it equals a freaking pig with blue ears. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so asking for help back then reinforced, I'm not smart enough. And so now asking for help, to me, the meaning I give anything determines how I feel. Now asking for help shows exactly how smart I am. Mm. <laughs> so I changed the meaning of it. Right. Right. And so the other thing that I've realized is, you know, um, let's say you're really good at uh, marketing and it's just hieroglyphics to me. And I'm really good at management and that's hieroglyphics to you. And Here's what you learn in business, right? Is you can't be good at everything, which means you actually have to rely on people who are better at things than you are. And mm -hmm. if you really want to grow, whether it's in your health or your business, specialized knowledge is really, really critical. And something that I, that I share all the time, Andre, if you could pass me my Rubik's Cube, that would be great. Have you ever tried to solve the Rubik's Cube? When I was a kid, yes. I haven't recently. It? With cheating, yes. So I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Any one of them. So here, here is something that you know, I use as in, in some of my teaching, right? So um, if you want to solve the three by three Rubik's Cube, you know, or the four by four Rubik's Cube, right? Um, if you were to try, or I was to try, to just solve this just by moving stuff around, 
it could take us up to a million years just with the algorithms that are possible with this three by three by three by three. Um, a billion years on the four by four. That's the actual number of moves that you could actually do and not solve the Rubik's cube. Right. Now, why do I use this as an example? Most people will never solve this on their own because A, they don't understand the algorithm in three dimension. Um, and even though there are kids that can solve this in less than 20 seconds and they can solve it blindfold with it behind their back. Now, how is that possible? And the answer is they have taken the time to learn the algorithm. You need to have the blue and red over here before you do the next thing, before you do the next thing, before you do the next thing. And once you have that organized, then there's a sequential way to solve this in less than 30 seconds. And if an expert was standing next to you saying yes or no, yes or no, with every move that you did, you'd be able to solve it in less than 10 minutes with an expert standing next to you. You can go to YouTube and learn how to solve this by just following the YouTube instructions in less than 10, 15 minutes. So when we are looking for um, achieving any goal, all the how-to already exists. Mm. It all exists. It doesn't matter what goal you had. You want to build a million dollar business? All the how-to already exists. Now, you may not know how to, but somebody else can help you. So whether it's sales, marketing, management, finance, legal, product development, technology, there's somebody who plays at the very thing you have to work hard at. So one of my first mentors shared with me many, many years ago is hire people who play at things you have to work at. Mm. And in order to do that, you need to admit that I don't know this. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're dumb. It actually means you're smart. Right. I agree. Now you just shared a piece of advice you were given. Is there a piece of advice that stands out to you that you would consider monumental in your life? Uh, I mean, that's one of them. It's hire, barter, defer payment, or partner with people who play at things you have to work at. I love that. Now, what is a piece of advice you've been given that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true over time? Uh, how critical planning is. <laughs> okay. And why was how that given critical. to you? Pardon? Why was that given to you? Were you, were you not planning? Oh yeah. So, um, when I was 26, I bought the franchising rights for Remax of Indiana and I was a new CEO. And, um, uh, one of my, my second mentor, Walter Schneider, uh, attended our first, um, annual conference and, um, I was the CEO. So I gave the opening speech and I had, um, done a lot of um, planning for certain things, like how many calls I was going to make a day when I was a real estate agent, but now that I was a CEO, um, planning didn't come naturally or normally to me. You know, I, I, um, I relied, for example, in sports on the coaches creating the plan for me to execute. Uh, in real estate, I had a manager tell me, you know, call 100 people, learn this script, do this. But now as the CEO, I had to be responsible for that. So in our first, um, our first annual uh, awards banquet, there were, I think, uh, 60 people in the audience, husbands and wives. We had like, you know, 30 real estate agents in four or five offices. I later, later built that to an 85 office operation with 1,200 salespeople. Wow. But the first, the first uh, presentation, you know, I got up and I just, I just ad-libbed it. At the end of the presentation, after the night was over, um, my mentor and at the time business partner, Walter said, what the fuck was that? Those are the exact words he used. I don't swear too often once in a while though. I go, what do you mean? That was was great. He says, what the hell did you do to open up? You didn't practice a speech, did you? You didn't have any opening. There was no core message. There was nothing that was in harmony. There was nothing that made any sense. He says, Everything you do, okay, when you're in front of an audience, you need to not just be able to talk. You need to be able to be a master of your craft of creating the vision and to, and to share in a methodical, organized way. And that takes planning. Don't you ever take the stage again and not plan and practice. Wow. Wow. So that was a, an example where I thought I did great because I could talk. Um, but I wasn't communicating, you know, as a CEO. Mm. And, um, and so now I, you know, I invest quite a bit of time now in, in the planning process as much as like, even though it's not my natural propensity. Right. 
I, I, I resonate with be, that too. I used to be a big winger. Yeah, I can, I can resonate with that for sure now. All right, John, I want to give you one last question here. Uh, I, I know I've taken up a lot of your time and I'm definitely grateful for being able to amplify your message and uh, that's monumental. So um, last question, if John could only give one piece of advice for the rest of his life, meaning if you were writing books, hopping on stages, doing podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, if you could only give one piece of advice for the rest of your life, what would it be? Focus on trading your life for what you love with the people that you love. I love that. Yeah, just trade your life for what you absolutely love. No compromise. One, uh, on every one of my emails, it says, at the bottom of the email, it says, do more of what you love, less of what you tolerate, none of what you hate. Wow, I love that. I love that, that's life powerful. That's powerful. Life is short. It is. It most definitely is. And again, I appreciate you hopping on here. I'm going to have the link for all of your books, all of your, all of that good stuff, socials, website, all that in the show notes of this episode. Do you have anything going on that we should be on, you know, looking out for in the new year, maybe closing out this year? Uh, Yeah. If anybody uh, really wants to dive deep into the neuroscience of, you know, making more money, neuroscience of, um, uh, of success, um, uh, I bring together some of the top brain experts uh, in the world to do a brainathon, and you may have heard about it, Matt. Um, but if they go to brainathon123.com, it happens on Saturday, and um, and it's probably about six hours of free training where we bring on, for example, this year's Dr. Dennis Waitley, the legendary Dr. Dennis Waitley, Dr. Sarah Mackay from Oxford, Dr. Maria Nemeth, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, uh, Nirka, all experts on the mental, the inner game of success. And um, people can be introduced to some amazing free content. We introduce clients of ours that are just rocking it, making whether it's tens or hundreds or millions of dollars more. And we introduce people to some of our brain training techniques uh, that we use to help repattern, re-script and reshape people's subconscious minds so that uh, they actually take inspired action. Really cool stuff. I'll make sure that that link is in the show notes too. And I'll be there. That, that sounds phenomenal. That, that's really cool stuff. All right, John, I appreciate it, man. Thank you again for hopping on here. Truly, truly grateful for this opportunity. Way to, way, way to trade your life for what you love and make a difference. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, from our friend John Asaroff himself. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there. This is an episode to not listen to only one time. Like, this is an episode to go back to over the course of time to make sure that you're fully comprehending and fully taking away the messages that are within because there is extremely actionable advice from John's personal experiences, his current coaching uh, curriculas and beyond. So make sure you're checking this out, not only once, but twice, maybe three times, four, five, who knows, until it sticks is the key. Now, I'm also going to ask you to make sure that you're sharing this episode with the people in your circle because it's one thing for you to end the year strong, but it's another thing for you to help others end the year strong. And you have the ability to do so. If you felt this made an impact in your life, make sure that you're sharing it, whether it's on your Instagram story, your Twitter feed, your Facebook, your text messages with your group chats, email threads with your coworkers, whatever the case is, just make sure you're sharing it with the people around you as they will most definitely be grateful for you helping them make monumental strides to the best year next year in 2021, which is crazy to even think we're getting into that year, man. That made me feel somewhat old just saying that right now. But outside of that, I want to make sure that you're connecting with John, all of his events, which we just discussed at the end of this episode, his socials, his website, where to get the book, all that good stuff in the show notes of this episode. And until next time, everyone be blessed. Peace.